I'm Chris Turner, and this is Tapestry's Empowered to Connect podcast. Joining me again on the podcast are Ryan and Kayla North. Hi, guys. Hey, Chris. Hello, Chris. I wanted to have you guys on to play a game. Uh-oh. I like games. I don't know about games. <laughs> well, once upon a time on the podcast, we played Give Me an Example. Yes, I remember. We're bringing it back, only this time it's the Parenting Tools Edition. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Are there prizes this time? Uh... Well, we have some lovely strawberries and pineapple on the table All that right. we can give away as prizes, if you that so sounds, desire. That sounds good. Cause and think, healthy. Sounds good and healthy. Because I think the guacamole is all gone. <laughs> it is all gone. <laughs> and we all know who to blame for that. Chris Turner. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was me. I'll own my own stuff. There you go. Oh, speaking of owning your own stuff, oh, I think Ryan just gave us an example. Yes, a very small employee example, but nonetheless an example. <laughs> right. Why don't you just kind of give us an overview of what these parenting tools are for listeners who might not be familiar with them. Okay. So what I heard you say when you said that was put them in context. Very good. Okay. So um, during the nine-week Empower to Connect parenting course, um, we ask the participants in week one to basically um, – put what we would call standard Western parenting on hold, and that is yelling at your kids, timeouts, spanking, and um, unreasonable consequences. And and I say unreasonable consequences because um, one of the 25 parenting tools, uh, the tool number 25, is, um, is, is related to consequences. So in the course of the nine weeks, we give sometimes two, sometimes four, however it works out, uh, parenting tools, and we ask the folks in the class that if they were just put their standard traditional Western parenting on hold and try to embrace these new things um, that if if they could start seeing things being different in their homes that maybe that they would leave their old ways behind and so that's sort of the context in which these things things happen they're divided into empowering tools connecting tools and correcting tools and um, we have a list of 25 that you get in the binder okay and so what I'm going to do is pick some out okay and then ask you guys to give me an example okay. of how it looks good. like in real parenting. I think, right. what, I think what will probably happen is Kayla can give an example, <laughs> and I'll go, I agree with that. <laughs> then I get all the strawberries and pineapples. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how that works. That's only fair because I had all the guacamole, <laughs> as previously established. <laughs> well, here's one. Focus on nonverbal communication. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> Because it is um, the last tool we discussed in our class two nights ago. Oh, so timely so, as well. Oh, yeah, timely as well. So, yeah, so there's two levels to that. Kayla and I actually talked about it in the car afterwards. Um, so I don't know if you want to do like you do one level, I'll do one level kind of like we did the other night or, or what you want to do. It's a competition. So we're going to like rate oh. which one is a better level. No, I'm just kidding. No, you'll, you'll win if we actually compete on doing this. So. <laughs> So I'll, I, if I just throw up the white flag now, can we cooperate on this one? Yeah, I guess so. that's fine. Um, so when we talk about nonverbal communication, we're, we're talking about the things you do, obviously, without speaking um, and how that communicates to your kids. So the most obvious example 
would be um, just continuing to do what you're doing when your kids are telling you a story, right? Or when they're coming to tell you about something. Oftentimes my kids will come and they want to show me something and I'm doing something on my computer or on my phone or... Um, or you're folding laundry or you're or, doing dishes. Yes, or, or I'm folding or laundry. Or you're arranging something in the garage. Or, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, yes. those, those are good. Those are good examples, and that's kind of what we talked about. Yeah, is is why you can't just go and like, you know, I'm on Facebook on my telephone because that's almost too easy of an mm. example. It's the stuff you're talking about that actually gets complicated because I think that's harder for us mm, to right. disengage from, right? Right, because we we kind of say to ourselves, well, you know, I have to keep folding the laundry while they tell me the story. When in reality, we could stop folding the laundry for a minute, look at our kids, you know, affirm them, you know, give them some feedback to whatever they're saying to us, and then go back to the laundry, mm. right? I mean, I am guilty of this all the time, but what it communicates to our kids when we take the time to stop and say, you're important enough that I'm going to put down something that I need to do. Mm-hmm to look at you and then how much more does it even tell them when we put down something that we don't need to do mm-hmm. like Facebook right I mean how many times are we just looking at something on our computer and our kids say something to us and we kind of half listen and respond to them mm-hmm. out of that half listening you know and then we get frustrated when they don't give us their attention when we want to tell them something right I right. mean I get frustrated I'm like pay attention stop staring at your phone <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> gee, where would they got that from? Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, but I think it, it, it can also, it doesn't have to be just that kind of nonverbal communication. It can be when you're talking to your kids about something, what does your body language communicate mm-hmm. to your kids? Do you have your arms folded? Are you standing where you're clearly mad and you're not going to listen to anything they have to say? Mm. Or um, are you rolling your eyes at what your kids say or things like that? Because I think often our kids start, they pick up on some of those things and it's really irritating when a seven-year-old does the same thing that you do to them, right? But they were just, they're just mirroring it back, mm-hmm. right? And so we have to be careful of our nonverbal communication and how that comes across to our kids. To me, I, I know it doesn't, it doesn't smart less when you realize that you're staring at Facebook when your four-year-old's trying to speak to you. But you're at least... <clears throat> to some degree, and I'm not excusing behavior here. It's like, oh, this is what I do. I'm doing my excuse for it. But to some degree, that's that's easy to it's it's easy to see that that's a mistake because you're going, okay, I'm on Facebook. My kids wants kid wants to see it, wants my attention, and I think it's almost easier to recover from that mistake. Mm-hmm. The, the reason that they're doing the laundry or doing the dishes is difficult is because you've convinced yourself that these are important things that need to be done. These are things that are that, that need to be done around the house. These are things that if your house is in you know not chaotic, then the kids might not be as chaotic. We do all these things, right? And, and we end up being um, being Martha. Remember the story of Mary and Martha, where, right? Where, where uh, Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, learning, and Martha's in the kitchen cooking, and she gets really, really agita- irritated that um, Mary is not helping, mm-hmm. and Jesus rebukes her and says that Martha chose the more important things. And I think that, I'm sorry, that Mary chose the, the more important things. And I think that sometimes we really embrace our inner Martha. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And like, no, I can't stop and listen to my child because I have to get the laundry done. I can't stop and listen to my child because i got to get dinner on the table. I can't stop and listen to my child because the kitchen's dirty. And, and I think that that's more troubling perhaps because it's not just that we're not paying attention to our children and being fully present with them we're also sort of engaging um, 
we're also identifying ourselves with like a, an example from the Bible where where Martha had really convinced herself that she was doing what was important. Mm-hmm. And and I think that we do that too. And I think well, that's because, so you know, hard. People have to eat. People have to have clean clothes. You know, that's true. These things are important, but in that one single moment. Yeah. So how much time do your kids really want for you? They're telling you a story. I mean, even if it's a long, drawn-out story. It's like right. three minutes. Right. You know, I mean, the dishes can wait for three minutes. Mm-hmm. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we'll go. Oh, I can't listen to my child. I'm doing the dishes. Oh, my favorite sports team's playing. I can do the dishes when the game's done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's true. I was reading a book. Um, there's an author, Sally Clarkson. Some people, moms are probably familiar with. Um, not an adoptive mom or anything like that, but she re- writes a lot of parenting books and a lot of um, just mom encouragement type things. And she mm-hmm. goes around speaking and stuff. And she tells a story in one of her books about she was doing something. I think she was doing dishes or something. And her son... Um, says, Mom, you got to come right now. And she's like, but she's like thinking to herself, I've got to finish these dishes. Um, But she doesn't. She stops what she's doing and gives her child her attention, right? She she communicates, you're more important than these dishes. And he takes her and out, and they live out like in Colorado in the mountains or something like that. And he takes her out to this beautiful spot to watch the sunset, mm. right? I mean, if she had stayed and said, well, in just a minute, you know, or no, I can't do it right now. Or if she had not even said anything, but just shoot him out of the room, you know, because right. she was, you know, and I thought she would have missed something really beautiful. And I think sometimes we miss those things with our kids because we communicate to them with our nonverbal, what I'm doing is more important, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I'll, I'll get to that when I have time. Okay, so here's the second one. Encourage feelings. Okay, may, may I go first? <laughs> yes. If you feel the need to, Ryan, uh, please. You need a little, little drum kit. <laughs> Encourage feelings. This is particularly hard for me um, for a myriad of reasons, and I'll try to unpack them in a logical order for you, Chris. Is this you owning your stuff, Ryan? Oh my gosh. I'm on a I'm on a constant journey of owning my <laughs> stuff, Chris. Um because um I didn't grow up in a house where feelings were encouraged. Mm-hmm. So the idea of e- expressing your feelings in appropriate and healthy ways is not something that is like part of how I was raised. So it doesn't come naturally to me. It's something that I've had to learn. And um one of my hot button words is well, I feel like, I'm like, uh, can we dispute facts and not feelings? So encouraging feelings, I feel like it, it like almost short circuits my brain. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you to do the thing that I don't want <laughs> you to do. <laughs> but it is necessary, particularly for our kids who didn't come home at birth. Okay. Because while there are a lot of complex things related to that that we didn't understand for a long, long time, if your child was placed... Um, with you from the hospital but our kids had come to us um, you know at four six eight whatever years of age maybe even older have these memories and live in environments um, where where their thoughts and feelings didn't matter Mm -hmm. and so if you are repeatedly told that your thoughts and feelings don't matter then soon you'll believe the narrative that I don't matter and that is why it's so important to encourage feelings and to encourage our kids to express those feelings because it is a way that we can tell them, hey, you matter. 
because what you think matters, what you feel matters, and and I want you, um, and I want to hear those from you. And so, um, I don't know if if Key are going to tell tell a story that she shared with me tonight. I hope that you can, um, because I think it's just a really really great example of how a that we need to encourage uh, feelings in others and encourage people to express their feelings, but also recognizing why our kids from these hard places. Um, really, really are either a reluctant to express their feelings mm-hmm. or unable. And um, I'm not sure if you put me on the spot right now and ask me which is more challenging if I'd be able to just give you a quick answer because I think that the reluctance and the inability are, are equally as challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the important things too with feelings is helping our kids to really identify their feelings too because sometimes our kids' feelings can get really jumbled and they think that they're feeling one thing or maybe they can't even identify what the feeling is. It just, it comes out as mad, but really they're anxious about something. Mm -hmm. Um, One of ours. Or sad about something. Yeah, or sad about something. Mm -hmm. And it's coming out as as anger and frustration and in all these weird ways. And then when we're able to help our kids name what that is, like what is that feeling? And there's lots of tools out there that you can use. Um, but some kids don't even understand what it looks like. One of ours has really has trouble with um, matching the facial expression to the feeling. Mm. And so that's one of the things we're working on in play therapy is just learning how to what what does mad look like? What does sad look like? What does afraid look like? You know, what does anxious look like those kinds of things and being able to name those feelings and also like really express them appropriately Mm. um and so i think that's important as we encourage our kids to share their feelings i think it's equally as important to make sure they understand those feelings so there's i think the um i think the author is todd parr with p-a-r-r has some like feelings flashcards that are really cool um, that show like happy on one side and sad on the other side. And so, and they're like those little, I can't even remember what they're called. They're like those, uh, I think it's Komoto or something. It's, I think it's Japanese little like characters. They're very, they don't look realistic. They look like little emojis almost. Right. Um, but they really show the expressions on the faces, right? Or like we have a feelings chart on the side of our fridge. It's just a little magnet feelings chart. And it's got that today I feel in the little square and you can kind of put it over the feeling. And several of our kids, when they're feeling a certain way, will go in there and just move that to how they're feeling. Um, and so I think helping them match the facial expression that goes along with the feelings and... Um, how do we respond to that feeling um, is really helpful too. One of our kids moved around a lot in foster care Mm -hmm. and really didn't have a safe place to land for a very long time. Mm. And so she tends to um, keep her feelings inside. Mm -hmm. You can tell by the way she kind of moves and the way she kind of um the her whole demeanor changes you can tell that something's bother her bothering Mm. her but if you ask her about it she'll say i'm fine Mm. i'm fine 
and you know that she's not fine. You know that something happened, but you might not be able to pinpoint what it was that happened. And so when I say to her, I'll say, what's going on? And she'll say, I'm fine. And I'll be like, you're clearly not fine. Right. And so... Your nonverbal communication says yeah, exactly. you're not exactly. fine. Her nonverbal <laughs> communication shows me she's not fine. So she'll say, I'm fine. I'm fine. And so what I finally had to say to her was, I understand that you've not had a lot of people in your life that you can trust. Mm. And I want to be that safe place for you. I want you to feel like you can tell me that what you're feeling. And I won't judge you for your feelings your feelings are not wrong how you feel is how you feel Mm -hmm. and i will listen to your feelings and i said i know that me telling you that is not going to automatically make you open up to me about your feelings but i want you to know that and i hope that i will show you and in time you'll feel like you can tell me the things that are bothering you so i said i'm going to ask you what's bothering you whenever I can tell you're upset and you can say, I don't really want to talk about it, but just don't, don't say I'm fine. Right. Just say, I don't want, I'd rather not talk about it. And she said, well, then you're just going to bug me about it later. <laughs> and I said, no, I'll make you that promise. I won't bug you about it later. When you're ready to talk to me, you can come talk to me. And I said, that way, at least you're not telling me you're fine. You're recognizing that you're not fine. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that over time you're going to come to a place where you can trust me to tell me what you're feeling. And in that particular conversation, it took about 20 minutes and she came back to me and said, well, here's what was bothering me, Mm. you know, and I don't know that's not going to always happen, but I think in that particular situation, just letting her know, I recognize that you've had some untrustworthy people in your life and they've not protected your feelings or they've not acknowledged your feelings. Um, because for her, it wasn't about necessarily naming the feeling. It was about, I can't trust you with my feelings. Right. While those were both really good answers, Ryan, I am afraid that the strawberries and pineapples in this round also go to Kayla. Chris, I think that uh, people who listen to most of our episodes could have predicted that the strawberries <laughs> and pineapples would go to Kayla. So, um, <laughs> Well, the next parenting tool I need an example of is get your child moving. It's easy. Get a trampoline somewhere <laughs> in the backyard. <laughs> next. <laughs> you might not want to end on such a softball. <laughs> get your child moving. Yeah, so um, lots of fun stuff going on there. So if we can... We just kind of sit around, and one of the mistakes I think that parents tend to make is if their kids are getting to a place where, let's just be honest, um, I'll use the terminology most commonly used in most people's homes. When your kids are irritating you, <laughs> you want them out of the way, so what do you do? You turn on their friend, Mr. TV, the the digital nanny, or you throw an iPad on their on their, um, on their their lap, or an Android device, or a Windows device. Or, Whatever or, is your technological preference yes none of those companies pay us promotional <laughs> consideration so um but we do that right i mean i don't know if that's what happens at your house it's what happens at our house a lot yeah let's have some screen time folks and um then what we realize is we've just put a pause on whatever the behavior was and then when we hit play again yep. the same behavior is there except now it's amped up even it's more amped up even more yeah uh, because you're getting zero uh, positive input sitting in front of the television. You're getting zero sensory input sitting in front of the television. 
And so uh, we got this really cool swing in the tree in the front yard. It's a, it's like, it looks like a spider web and it's on a, on a square frame and a couple of the kids can sit on a time and they just swing the I've heck I've seen like it. six at a time oh, on okay. it. <laughs> I don't know how much weight it holds, but it's at in least the six tree. Of our kids. <laughs> really at least six of your six. kids. Yeah. Or the neighborhood kids. I mean, you know, whoever. But um, you get all of that vestibular input, right? That's your sense of, of space and motion. And so that's really great for them, uh, getting that input. You know, um, Kayla homeschools the kiddos, and sometimes when things are getting a little unsettled, she'll tell them to go and swing because there's an amazing calming effect on them. Mm. Or they can run out, outside. They play basketball out front. They love riding their bikes. And all of those things uh, do a lot of things. Uh, number one, it gets all of the happy juices flowing. Um, you know, and I say happy juices because other than um, dopamine, I can't think of any of the others right now. Um, that happens. Um, exercising is just plain good for your overall health. Um, it gives them a lot of sensory inputs, um, you know, the tactile feeling of the wind, mm. the vestibular motion of moving in space on, on, on the bike. And then sometimes when they fall, some deep tissue proprioceptive input from the sidewalk <laughs> when they land on their shoulders. Um, but luckily that doesn't happen very often. But the other thing uh, is practical. It also just makes them tired. Right. And so... Um, we find that if we will remember to, and, and it's hard. I mean, it's hard because um, not all of our kids are of the age where we'd let them out in the front yard by themselves unsupervised. So again, it, it requires us to stop what we're doing a lot of the time because, you know, for about a minute, we thought if we left the older siblings in charge, that would work. But the older siblings just like ride off on their bicycles to their friends. And right. then we still got four-year-olds in the front yard. So, so um, but if we'll just remember that, us all going outside for 20 minutes will be a great investment in recharting the course of the day. Um, then we'll do it. Uh, and the kids love it. And they get the fresh air. They get the sunshine, the vitamin D. There's just like a ton of positive things about them playing outside. And every time that it happens, we always come back inside and things are in a, at a better place. Always. I've always found, too, that when they go outside, there might be, there might be some reluctance at first, right? Oh, do we have to? You know, that kind of thing. And then, you know, an hour later, when it's time for them to come inside, I don't want to come inside. I'll play, you know, we're out here playing and doing this thing. And you're like, you're like, well, okay, mission accomplished. There you go. But I really need you to come inside and eat dinner now. Yeah. Do I, the question just changes. Do I have to go outside to it? Do I have to come inside? Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, and I've even seen in situations where we have maybe a conflict and everybody's kind of getting riled up and Ryan will say, Hey, come on, let's go shoot some hoops. And he'll just take them outside in the middle of everybody just arguing and fighting. He'll just take them outside and shoot hoops with them. And then within five minutes, they can calmly kind of talk through whatever was going on. Mm. Right. Or whenever we, um, I can just feel like everybody feels like they're bouncing off the walls. Well, clearly they're needing some sensory input. Right. right? And so even on a rainy day, we will do things like we'll have races like bear crawling races or crab walking races or um, wheelbarrow races, right? Where it gets a lot of that proprioceptive input. Mm -hmm. um, and then they can get some of those sensory needs met. They get moving. Um, and there's just so many, there's so much research that talks about just the effects of movement on your brain and on, you know, and how that just affects it affects your mood. I mean, whenever we go to the gym, which is like once a week for yoga, um, I always feel better. 
after mm-hmm. I go to the gym. I mean, I always do. And I want to go every day. After I've gone once, I'm like, oh, I've got to go every day. Mm. You know, because I always feel better, but I don't always want to go. Right. Right? And that's how our kids are too. They always feel better once we get them moving. They don't always want to go and get moving. And I think it, what we need to remember as well is when you hear the phrase, get your kids moving, um, like I did, I first went to stories of outside and riding bikes and stuff, but it could be something a lot simpler or a lot smaller than that in, in, in the house. So um, give, if I can may just give two examples. Sure. Uh, we were going to a family camp in Colorado, which we do with Sky Ranch up at Horn Creek every uh, August. And we had stopped at this small town in New Mexico. Um, I don't know, we'd probably been in the car about five or six hours at that point and for lunch. And so we get to the restaurant, and everybody's been cramped in the car, so everybody from dad down to the littlest, who I think was probably two at the time, we were just kind of annoyed and agitated. And so what we did, because you just move from the car into the restaurant, and they're sitting it down at the table. <laughs> again. table again. So we haven't really done much. And so the kids were just playing with cutlery, and you know, the knife and the fork and the plate were like the snare drum and the drumsticks. And, <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, Kel's like, hey, let's have a uh, chair push-up contest who can push themselves up in their chair and hold themselves up longest. And so you're getting all of that, that input from having to support your body weight and then the kids get competitive with each other and then mm. like, no, best two out of three, best three out of five. Uh, and then by the time lunch arrived, everybody ate peacefully. There were no food fights, no arguing, no yelling. And, uh, and we left. And as we left, this, this older couple, probably in their 70s, um, they grabbed, she grabbed Kayla by the hand. She said, I just want you to know you have the most wonderfully behaved children I've ever seen. <laughs> and, and You're thinking, really? Really? <laughs> I'm like, uh, but, but here's the great thing. When I was a kid, if we, had a, if we were in the same situation, violence would have been threatened and a trip to the bathroom for a spanking would have ensued. Mm-hmm. Right? And all we did was my wife just said, hey, let's have a chair push-up competition. And so we got them moving. And people don't tend to think of that as getting moving because you didn't actually go anywhere. Right. But you're still getting the physical input. Um, that that you need. The second example I wanted to have uh, give is that we have a like a fifty pound punching bag hanging from the ceiling in the garage, and um, we have boxing gloves in all all different sizes and different styles in the garage. And uh, some of my kids, um, two of them particularly, it is their it is their um, method of choice of working out some of their of their anger or frustration. And so, with my nine year old son. Um, who has his own personal set of boxing gloves, um, one day he was just really not doing well. He was just really, we, we couldn't get him unstuck. He was just fighting with everybody and being unkind with his words and not doing his work. And so, um, you know, we don't always get it right. So I right. don't want to be confessional about that. <laughs> but I feel like this day we were pretty good. And uh, I said, hey, come with me. And I told him to put his boxing gloves on. And I, I held this, like, stood behind the bag to give it some more resistance. And, and he just started hitting it. And I said, um, what are you mad about? Nothing. He started wailing on the bag. I said, but what's bothering you? Nothing. And the third time I asked him, he'd been punching the thing so hard that he was actually now trying to catch his breath. And he stopped and he told me what was bothering him. Mm. And so um, that, if you don't have a punching bag at your house, Everyone, buy one. Because you can get them pretty cheap used. I think we paid like maybe $20 for that one. It's a yeah. nice uh, nice Everlast bag, which is a big boxing brand name. And um, it was fantastic because um, my kids were now going from 
suggesting that they go and wail on the punching bag for five minutes because I don't know if you've ever like hit on a punching bag, but I can do it for about sixty seconds before I need to like call for oxygen, and mm. it is such. <laughs> Is so difficult to do, right? I don't know how, that's a boxer rounds are only three minutes long because I think people would just fall over if they're any longer than that. Um, but our kids now, as, a, as, we, as we go along that process of other regulated, co-regulated, self-regulated, mm-hmm. that co-regulation phase of, of reminding them that we have a punching bag in the garage and we have gloves to now, um, my nine-year-old son walked by me one day in, in downstairs and I said, uh, where are you going? To hit, to hit the punching bag in the garage and just walked right by me. I was like, yes. Because <laughs> he's, he's learning to self-regulate and instead of him punching on his siblings or punching on the wall or breaking his toys or whatever, he now goes and punches the punching bag. And again, he didn't travel very far to get moving, mm. but, he got, but he, got, he, got, he got the juices flowing and he got lots of, again, more oxygen's flowing and more oxygen to the brain. There's just so many positive things that come out of that. And he literally may be in the garage for three minutes. Well, for this round, Kayla, I'm afraid Ryan gets his pineapple or a strawberry. Everyone's surprised that Ryan got the pineapple <laughs> or the yeah. strawberry. I mean, seriously, I, I could give a few more examples. I mean, if that would help. I just... I'm, I don't. I don't do well with Lucy. She's so competitive. You should play, like, you should play board games with her. My brother's a lawyer, and he left one night almost in tears because he couldn't take the abuse anymore from playing Boggle. Not me. He's a Boggle, a great game now. It is it's an excellent game. And do you know how hard mm. it is to find the five by five grid? The four by four is like easy. Yeah. Well, guys, thanks so much for being on. I really think that parents out there will get some benefit from learning what these parenting tools are and hearing like some real world use that you guys have experience with. So um, what do you think about um, just over the course of time, us doing three or four at a time and just cycling through all 25? I think that would be excellent. Good. I like it. So tune into a future podcast to hear about more parenting tools. So guys, thanks for being on the podcast today. Thanks, Chris. You bet, Chris. If you have a question for us that will fit into 140 characters, you can tweet it to us at Tapestry IBC. If you need some more room than the 140 characters that Twitter provides, you can email us at tapestry at irvingbible.org. You can also find us on Facebook at Tapestry IBC. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or the Google Play Store. Just search for Tapestry Adoption Podcast. If you have enjoyed and gotten value from this podcast, we would appreciate a review in either location. Empowered to Connect is the training and support community of Tapestry, the adoption and foster care ministry of Irving Bible Church in Irving, Texas. You can check the show notes for relevant links from this episode and find more resources on our website, tapestryministry.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>